G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 21 Review Edition and what a weekend of footy it's been. Extremes of weather, extremes of performance. In fact, a record-breaking round in various ways, which I'll touch on shortly. As I say, a very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Finey? Yeah, I'm well... From snow to sun, we started off with snow in Canberra, of course, and finishing off bright sunlight and almost, well, looks like balmy conditions over in the west and in between pretty cold in Melbourne. But I'll tell you what, all the while, big thank you to our major sponsors, and they are, of course, Andrew's Hamburgers, consistently brilliant, 80 years they celebrate this year. And they're at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. And as good as the burgers are, so is the build on your house from Nick's Bartels and Hardwick Build Co. So big thanks to both of them. It's uh, good hamburger weather. And it's good weather to be sitting in a nice, warm, refurbished or brand new house. Yep. Both of which I have not enjoyed this weekend because <laughs> no. I'm in a house that's over 100 years old. And I haven't had a beautiful Andrews burger. But I should avail myself at least of the burger because they are affordable. What a weekend of football. It was shocking for your Bombers. Almost unthinkable uh, what happened there. And then, of course, there were Brisbane continuing to flex muscles. But all the while, this race for the top four becomes more intriguing by the week. It does. It does. And two rounds to sort it all out. But uh, just a quick touch on some of the records that were shattered over this round 21 weekend, of course. First time we've seen snow in an AFL game. Pretty hard to believe. Uh, although if you'd seen the schedule, you would have thought maybe there was a chance of that happening. But uh, we'll touch on that later. Uh, included among the record-breaking, GWS's lowest ever score. North Melbourne's lowest ever score. Essendon, most consecutive goals ever conceded by the Bombers. Western Bulldogs, most consecutive goals ever kicked by them. Western Bulldogs' biggest win ever over Essendon, and I think their fourth biggest of all time. Brisbane's biggest ever win against Gold Coast. There you have it. All in one weekend of footy. It was amazing. Yeah, it was incredible to think that Essendon kicked that first goal, rattled up, I think, Dylan Scheel. In, yeah, it was a great 20 seconds. Yeah, it was you know, 20 seconds of great football, and what happened next was just mind-boggling. It was. And uh, we'll boggle suitably as we get to that game in our review of the round, which we're going to get into right now. On Footyology, wrap around. Rightio, let's kick off with, uh, not arguably, definitely the coldest um, game of VFL slash AFL football ever played in Canberra, Friday evening. Greater Western Sydney and Hawthorne, and a fantastic win to the Hawks. They really pulled out a vintage Hawthorne performance in this game. Uh, here's my maths again. 50, how? 
Nine goals too. 56-point winners over the Giants. 13-7-85, defeating GWS. A paltry 4-5-29. For the Hawks, two goals each to O'Brien, Puopolo, Bruce and Lewis. Singles the rest. They had nine individual goal kickers. All singles for the Giants and uh, really miserable performance by them. Just uh, four points in the second half to the Hawks' seven goals. The writing was on the wall pretty early, though, finally, when the Hawks got off to a flyer with the first three goals of the game. Yeah, they sort of pulled it back a little bit, GWS, kicked a couple of goals in that first quarter. Toby Green... His move into the midfield has been a success, so you'd give him an absolute tick. I thought Lockie Whitfield was okay, and maybe Zach Williams. And then they were just bereft of competitors on the ground. It was very disappointing for a team that had sort of eked out two wins in the previous two weeks to get Friday night football and surrender so meekly. And for the Hawks, they would have been delighted with the what I would have described as a a really even effort. They get a great return from a couple of hard-nosed midfielders, which they get in O'Meara and Warple. But I reckon Wingard played a good game. He did, uh, 27 disposals for him. I think Warple, we've talked about him a bit. I think he's had a terrific season for them. You've got to keep reminding yourself it's only his second season of league footy. He's a very... Old head on young shoulders. I like him a lot. Also, um, what about James Sicily in defence? 33 disposals for a key defender in conditions like that. He's he's a really good player, James Sicily. The, I mean, are we talking about, are we fair to GWS? When Hopper was a late withdrawal, yeah, it hurt. you start to look at their midfield and think that they really are running just about on bare bones. So the rotations were always going to hurt them. Now, that's somewhere where Hawthorne hasn't been strong, but it was good to see Liam Shields stand up. 31 for him. And ultimately, you know, Tim O'Brien nips in with a couple of goals. It was really an even contribution, wasn't it? Yeah. Just to keep the scoreboard ticking over. I guess it was, and it was mainly at the quarter-time break where the snow came, wasn't it? It was... Mm. It wasn't farcical, but it was humorous. Well, and Hawthorne certainly uh, had a good laugh about it yeah. at the break. Gee, didn't they make a lot of all that about them laughing about it and Alistair Clarkson doing a lap at training with his shirt off? And well, but, but it was it was very odd for footballers to play in those conditions. That being said, I don't think the conditions were terrible to play football in. It wasn't like it was windswept. I've seen much harder football conditions, and I thought that Hawthorne played them pretty well. Well, they did. They did. Uh, also, uh, don't forget for the Hawks, Gunston, a late withdrawal. Late withdrawal as well. And Connor Nash. I like Connor Nash. I reckon he's got something. Um, you know, he's only sort of showing it in glimpses, but there's something a bit exciting about him. I reckon he could be a keeper for the Hawks, but it's just classic Hawthorne, isn't it? You ju- they're just about done and dusted, and you think, okay, um, end of an era, blah, 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 blah. And then they'll just pull one out and, you know, good coaching performance, but just a good, solid, all-round performance where their big guns fire. And, and when they do, they're invariably competitive against virtually anyone. Yeah, I, again, when we tipped on Thursday, I don't like tipping against Hawthorne when another loss almost means that they're, well, would have meant that they're completely out of the season. I don't think they're going to make the eight, but... A continued poor form, poor showing by them really has us downgrading Hawthorne in our estimations. And that's when they're at their most dangerous. They're a team with 
a great deal of pride and I think they understand what sort of consecutive losses means to them and exactly where they sit in the pecking order and they are not going quietly into the sunset, are they? No, absolutely not. Well, what about the other mob? Because they are going to play finals and uh, I think there's a fair chance they're going to be uh, pretty much straight out of those finals. Uh, Right at this second, they are sixth on the ladder, so that would give them hosting rights. But... um, I'm not sure their home ground advantage necessarily counts for that much. And uh, I think they're definitely a poorer side away. That's a bit of a contradiction, isn't it? But I stand by it. And it's interesting. This was supposed to be Canberra, of course, is their home, second home. A uh, bit of a fortress for them as well. They've lost a couple of times at, at, in Canberra this season, I believe. Yeah, Freo bird. So, unfortunately, look, I, I do consider them to be one of these teams that have been struck by injuries to the point of taking them out of the running. You've got to be fair. Obviously, Kelly's a huge loss. Cornelio. Cornelio out for the season is demoralising. You throw mm. Hopper into the mix, and they have not been able to get consistent football. Whitfield's only really just come back. Deledio is injury-riddled. They've got a lot of players that they've had to do without throughout the season. Yeah, but so have plenty of others. I understand I mean, that. So have Richmond, so have Collingwood, uh, Essendon have more recently. I mean, it's it's just a fact of football life. And it's it's not necessarily even having the best 22 anymore. It's having the best list. Um, so do we say that they don't have a strong list anymore? That deep list that so many clubs were jealous of up till a couple of years ago? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, and um, you know, I think their performances reflect that. If you think back to 2016, they were within a kick of a grand final and then the following year they were within six goals of a grand final and then last year they were eliminated in week two. I think this year they might be eliminated in week one. So, um, yeah, look, they're, they're thereabouts, but I, I just don't think they're good enough or perhaps strong enough mentally as much as anything to um, be able to really give it a shake this September. And does that does that place Leon Cameron in a fragile position? Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, because, uh, you know, there's a feeling like he escapes a bit of scrutiny, and I think that there may be a point in that, but I'm not sure he's driving a Ferrari anymore. It's more like a, um, I'm not a car person, what's something in between a Ferrari and a Commodore, which I drive? Oh, uh, maybe a, a, a Lancer. Okay, well, I think he's in a Lancer, not a Ferrari. All right, that's. I don't even know if they still make lenses. By the way. Uh, I don't think they make Commodores anymore. More <laughs> a pity. I don't know what I'm going to drive because it's all I've ever driven. All right, that's enough from Canberra. Let's head to the MCG Saturday afternoon. Rightio, the old rivals of the 1950s, Melbourne and Collingwood, at the G Saturday afternoon, and a fairly mm, by the numbers sort of win for the Pies. In the end, 17 points, 10, 10, 70. Defeating Melbourne, 7-11-53 for the Demons. Another one of these sorts of losses that they've had so many of this year where they don't get smashed and they're by and large competitive for much of the game, but you sort of know that they're not going to come up trumps. Um, got off to the better start in this game. They uh, Oh, hang on, goal kickers. In fact, they're all... Uh, check four, Pendlebury two, Varco two for the Pies. All singles for the Demons who definitely got the better start. They kicked the only goal of the first quarter, and then they got one early in the second term. 
And then the Pies proceeded to kick, was it the next seven, I think, either side of half-time. Pendlebury, quite amazing in itself. Pendlebury kicked Collingwood's first goal. It was nine minutes into the second quarter, and they're only a goal down, kicking their first goal halfway through the second term. Uh, it was that sort of weekend, I suppose. But um, they really got on top then in the midfield. Uh, I thought Gr- um, Grundy was pretty good against Max Gorn. That was an entertaining battle. Um, five of those seven goals are the sort of halftime coming from turnover, so it's been a big Achilles heel for the Demons all year. They tried something different up forward, finally. Uh, Jordan Roughhead playing as a key forward. That didn't work. No, it will be interesting to see if they stick with it or try something else. Uh, midfield came up, Trumps, Adam Trelaw, not quite as prolific as he has been, but still pretty good with 31. Still side bottom. Seemed not to have an opponent for much of this game. 28 for him. Jeremy Howe, very impressive in defence with uh, 22 and 8 marks. Um, and for the Demons, a tale of woe just continues. Stephen May, again, getting injured uh, towards the end of that game. Hamstring injury, we won't see him again this season. I thought um, one of the better games for Brayshaw this year. I thought he was quite good, and I thought Petrarca had his moments. But uh, pretty slim pickings for them, really, and uh, a couple of late goals made the score look a bit more respectable than it was. It's interesting. Brayshaw looking maybe for something to change his run of what has been pretty poor form took to the field without the helmet. Yeah. Actually, that's interesting because when they played St Kilda, I was doing the boundary and I made a comment at one stage, I was going without the helmet and then he put it back on and I, I couldn't work out whether he'd just taken it off for like five minutes and to see how it went or he just had it off during the break. I was roundly ridiculed for saying that, by the way. But yeah, I mean, that's good to see. It's, um, it's certainly an injury that's had repercussions for him. But um, I guess, does this result say more about Melbourne or Collingwood? Oh, no, I think it doesn't really instill a great deal of confidence going forward into the finals for Collingwood supporters, or the reality is that Collingwood got four goals out of my check. That was fantastic. But their attempt to cover Mason Cox's absence, which will be for the rest of the season with Roughhead, didn't work. And 10 goals, 10 against Melbourne doesn't translate, I believe, to a type of offensive setup that can win in the finals or at least get deep into the finals. They just have not been able, it seems, for most of this season to get things right going forward. Now, when you play against Melbourne, the beauty is that they're never too far away. So even though Collingwood kicked their first goal in the second quarter, nine minutes in, Melbourne don't have any forwards, so you're only a goal down. They got to 42 points up, Collingwood, they just cruised to the line. Melbourne rattled off a few goals late. I wouldn't worry about what the opposition did. More that Collingwood's, it still appears laboured when they go forward. Mm. I, I, you know, my check is he's a, a really good competitor, but he's going to have to face now the best defender from each of these sides in the finals. Which is why they have to have a, a second key Correct. forward. Any suggestions as to who that could be? Well, I don't know. I, I was actually just thinking then, could they actually take a punt and just go with an ultra-small forward setup? I mean, you know, you go back to Richmond 2017, you had Rewalt. What they had, though, was some tallish, medium-sized forwards, didn't they? But it was all about the pressure that was applied to yeah. keep the ball in there. And Dugowie and Elliott are not – they're great offensively, but they're not famous for putting – 
pressure on right you know I, I what about Varco can he make a difference in that regard I mean he bobbed up with a couple of goals he's a great rundown tackle and he can provide some forward line pressure but there are misses in his game as well in that he finds it hard to sustain that aerobic effort for the entire game or for an entire quarter even so he can get exposed a little bit coming out of the back line when teams realise that he's running on low. So uh, do we agree that the forward situation is the biggest Achilles heel in Collingwood's attempt to win this flag? Yeah, it seems to be, doesn't it? Okay, can Collingwood win? I'm going to keep doing this. Can Collingwood win this flag? No. No, I don't think they can either. All right, that's enough from the MCG, the second Saturday afternoon game in Adelaide. Let's go there. Rightio, Adelaide Oval, the second Saturday afternoon game. A big win in the finish to Port Adelaide, who are starting to gather some nice momentum. Um, uh, Here we go again with my maths. 47-point victors over Sydney. 15-13-103, defeating the Swans. 7-14-56 for the power. Three goals to Rosie Holotta. Three goals to Charlie Dixon. Two to Marshall. Two to Wines, who was a late inclusion after um, everyone knows uh, had to pull out with sternum bruising. Everyone knows, of course, being... Everybody knows it's butters. Everyone knows it's butters. That's me. That's him. Uh, two, <laughs> two goals to Marshall, two to Wines, two to Sutcliffe, singles to Amon, Houston and Ryder for the Swans, two each to Heaney, Menzel. Good to see him bob up and do something. Uh, two to Papley and a single to... Ronke, pretty even um, start to this game. Uh, four goals to three, quarter time. The power really got on top in that second quarter, didn't they? And then after half time, very much one way traffic. Eight goals to three after half time. A lot of this game played in the wet too. I don't know. I used to. I don't know if it's because the Swans were were a good contestable team. I always had this image in my head that they were a good wet weather team, but uh, I'm not sure they are. Anymore, they certainly didn't play handle the conditions as well as the power did. Um, they had been pretty competitive coming into this, the Swans. I think four of their last five losses by ten points or less. Port's defence uh, tracking very well at the moment. Darcy Byrne Jones, who we gave a rap to last week, he was great again. Twenty-eight disposals for him. Tom Jonas led very well. Twenty-five for him, good for a key position defender and. Um, Peter Laddams, it is Peter, isn't it? Laddams uh, just signed a new deal with the power. Uh, been impressive in the last couple of weeks in the ruck. 23 disposals for him and plenty of hitouts for the Swans. Lloyd picked up 30. Oliver Florent starting to become a uh, very consistent senior player for Sydney. 29 for him. Ollie Wines uh, makes a big difference when you get a guy of that quality coming back into your lineup. You know, the real good news out of this game, I think, for Ken Hinckley, apart from the fact that the win puts Port Adelaide one step closer to a spot in the finals, was the usual suspects were not the players who won them the game. Travis Boke, very quiet, 13 possessions. Mm. Uh, Rockliffe, sub-20, I think uh, 19 possessions. Robbie Gray did not hit the scoreboard. These are normally the signposts to a Port Adelaide loss, but your man Darcy Byrne-Jones was fantastic. I thought Houston played a really good game. Peter Laddams, well, hasn't he come from far stage left? Mm. That contract extension 
probably caught the footy world by surprise a little bit, but well, I can understand it. Actually, yeah. it's interesting because you you mentioned the other week Sandful form. You know, you're not convinced that that's a great yep. entree to AFL, but he apparently, from all reports, his Sandful form had been outstanding, and he just banged the door down basically and did very well last week against Essendon and backed it up uh, this week. So. I mean, they're back in town, aren't they? They, uh, I think the last kick of the day was that Cam Sutcliffe kicked a goal yeah. after the siren that well, well, put inter- them in the eight. Well, interestingly, Sutcliffe, he, he's now probably the league number one agitator. He really does not get the ball, but he kicked two goals, mm. which is interesting. Because Why he, do you reckon he chose number 50? Well, I think it was thrust upon him. <laughs> There is a oh Ben Brown, of course. There's yes, two fifties running around the oh, AFL now. Yeah, it's not Ben Brown. I imagine is the more famous of the two and the more dangerous. He's of a the weird two, looking guy, Cam Sutcliffe. So the first time I saw him playing for Port, I was sort of looking at him thinking, "You look about forty. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, he was a mid-season pickup and an interesting insertion into the team because no sooner had they picked him up than they started using him. Of course, famously went a little bit berserk in his first tagging role against Lockie Neal. And since then, he's been a bit of a watch, hasn't he? So where do we stand on Port? I mean, we, we ritually, not rubbish them, but we've always been very sceptical about them. Of these sides sort of jousting for last, well, it could be a couple of spots in the eight now, I think you've got to have them below the Western Bulldogs, but are they the next best of the contenders? Yeah, I I hope it is a couple of spots because we don't want to see Essendon fade away and, you know, hold a spot in the eight ahead of a Port Adelaide or the Bulldogs by virtue of one of these teams mucking up in the next couple of weeks. Port will catch them. But, yeah, I'd say Port, for mine, Port Adelaide maybe as you say, just behind the Bulldogs, but not far behind them. They've got... They'll avert their right to play off in the finals. And remember that the team that finishes fifth or sixth may well be a GWS or a Collingwood in not that healthy a state anyhow. Mm. Yeah, gee, the bottom half of the eight, to be perfectly frank, it's not, looking, wounded. Well, it's not looking overly competitive at the moment, isn't no, it? I don't no. think this is going to be a year when the uh, flag is won from outside the top four. All right, that's enough of that game. Uh, let's go go to Queensland and the big one of the weekend, he said slightly sarcastically, the Q clash between Brisbane and the Gold Coast. All right, Saturday twilight at the Gabba, and it was the biggest win ever in Q clash history, and it went, not surprisingly, to the Lions, uh, This a game between second on the ladder and last on the ladder, and the final scores, 22-12, 144. Defeating Gold Coast, 8-5-53, a 91-point victory to the Lions. Six goals to Charlie Cameron. Wow, is he playing some fantastic footy at the moment. Two goals each to Bailey, Lions, Hipwood, Zorko, and McStay. And for Brisbane, a total of 12 individual goal kickers. They are very, very healthy and potent. Didn't for, Swallow kick a couple? Uh, he did for Gold Coast. Yeah. He did. Yeah. I was talking about Brisbane. Okay, sorry. I thought you said uh, Gold Coast had individual goal kickers. Oh, no, no. They had five individual goal kickers, the Suns. Two to Sexton, two to Swallow, two to Day, Fiorini and Ainsworth. 
And once again, one of these games where the Suns, you know, reasonably competitive for a quarter. It was only 4-3 to 2-2 at the first break. But after that, completely one-way traffic. Uh, Brisbane kicking 18 of the game's final 22 goals. That's their eighth win in a row. Whacked on five percentage points with that, which could be significant. 16th defeat in a row for Gold Coast. Um, Dane Zorko, miraculous powers of recovery for a guy who was supposed to have a hamstring injury. 25 disposals and a couple of goals for him. Um, only got half his, uh, you know, in the Q clash, he's usually matched up with uh, Took Miller and there's a bit of argy-bargy. That only happened for half the game because uh, Miller spent the first half on Lockie Neal. Um, Jared Lyons, as uh, we you might have figured, he would have been suitably fired up about playing against his old side. 34 disposals and a couple of goals for him. Uh, Lyons racked up 65 inside 50s. And the highlight, of course, Charlie Cameron. He is in rare form at the moment and a deserved winner of the Marcus Ashcroft medal. And his six goals puts him on 47 um, for the season, which before the final game of the round had him equal fifth in the Coleman medal with Jack Darling. Now, as you said, the Marcus Ashcroft medal, it's interesting because I was thinking of a player that has really finished off a strong back line and turned it into one of the best back lines in the competition, and it's the inclusion of Marcus Adams. Now, we know at the Bulldogs he had a great first season and then injury just completely derailed his football career. He's bobbed up at Brisbane and had to start off again injured and on the sidelines, but now that he's in the team, he's a very sturdy defender, great one-on-one Mark, so he's not easily moved off his work. He's very good, a, f- a very good foil for Harris Andrews because Harris Andrews is quite an attacking defender. So much like uh, the cover that Dylan Grimes would give Alex Rance in the best of times, Marcus Adams is there doing some some strong work and some consistent work, allowing Harris Andrews to be a bit more adventurous up the field. I think he's quietly become an important component of that team. It was sort of weird how he left the Bulldogs, wasn't it? I mean, he was very injury-prone, but yeah. I thought when he did play for the Bulldogs, he was pretty good value. Yeah, I think he's. this is one of those situations where you had a team maybe offer him a, a three-year contract or a, a, a multiple-year contract, and the Bulldogs, because of his injuries, were going to take it a year at a time. So he was looking after his footballing future, you know, giving himself an opportunity to get a some financial return from football. But when he's fit, he's shown to be a very good footballer. Um, I wrote a column during the week for Inkle and for Footyology about Brisbane. Um, and we, we talked about this, didn't we? Uh, I, I think they can win the flag. I certainly don't have them on the front line of betting, but I don't have them far behind. And there is absolutely no reason they cannot win the flag. The next two weeks are so important for them, of course, because... Yeah. They are home to Geelong, which, I mean, look, a home to Geelong away to Richmond is a, mm. is a huge assignment. Their finals start now with two top four opponents. But it's also a great dress rehearsal, isn't it? Yes, and it even is. if they don't win, and, and my mind goes back to, I don't know if you remember this, 2008, and uh, Geelong held sway over Hawthorne. They met twice during the season. The second game was about three weeks out from the finals, from memory, mm. and Geelong won. But Hawthorne really, really pushed them. Uh, you know, I think even if, if Brisbane 
If Brisbane don't get smashed by Richmond at the MCG, I think they'll, you know, if they're at least pretty competitive, I think they'll come away still thinking they can win it. Yeah, Richmond aren't smashing teams, so they should be able to hold their own against the Tigers. What do we say about Gold Coast? We've said it all. Well, what, what can you say? What interesting, is interesting that the what coach, does the AFL say about Gold Coast? Interesting that the coach is now taking to punishment by omission. You know, Jack Martin yeah. being dropped. I wonder whether it's the right play, given that players like Jack Martin are going to be courted at the end of the season, or has he already written off Jack Martin as a future Gold Coast player? I mean, well, they, maybe you know, maybe they're just tired of sort of kowtowing to guys who who don't show what they should and won't really commit themselves. Well, this cannot be an annual occurrence for the Gold Coast. Otherwise, this team has to be re... I'm not saying they have to be re-assigned, moved, but they have to be rethought. The entire operation. This cannot continue where it's they start okay, but it's a long season. Yeah. And as the season wears, other clubs cherry-pick their best players, and by the end of the year, they are completely, uh, they've become completely, um, well, they've lost any unity, and they've become basically a, a team in disarray because players are being dropped or intend not to play for the club next year. It must be a horrible place to be. Well, the most important game for them is going to be around the commission table when they decide on what sort of assistance they're going to get. But uh, I can tell you what, it needs to be meaningful. Otherwise, this will this whole scenario will just repeat itself. Well, why give them another player to put into an environment where that player probably doesn't want to be there? Okay, so... It, yeah, the assistance I'm talking about, meaningful, has to be off the field as well as on the field. Correct. All right, enough of the Q Clash. Let's talk Saturday night footy. Okay, I'd like to just omit this game, but unfortunately we can't. It, Marvel Stadium, Saturday evening. An absolutely crushing win by the Western Bulldogs over a pathetic Essendon. 21 goals, 11, 137 points, the Doggies. 104-point victors over the Bombers, 4-9-33. Like we said off the top, uh, the Bulldogs' biggest ever win over Essendon. Uh, one of their handful of biggest wins ever. Most consecutive goals the Bulldogs have ever kicked in a game and the most consecutive goals Essendon have ever conceded. And... Um, First 20 seconds were great for the Dons. I, I must admit, I thought, I thought, oh, they're on. They're definitely on. Uh, centre clearance from Jake Stringer goes to a, a tap from, I think, Tipper it was, and Dylan Shiel, right foot snap and a goal in 20 seconds. And that was it. Uh, their next goal came at, what was it, the 18, 108 minutes they went goalless for. I think uh, very, uh, might have been around the 20-minute mark of the last quarter. Tipper. Anthony McDonald, Tipper and Woody kick one, and then they, they kick three. In fact, they kick the last three goals of the game. 21 goals in between. Outstanding performance from the Bulldogs. Um, they were, gee, they were good to watch. I mean, it was really good footy to watch. They got a lot of goals out of transition off half-back. Um, some of their linking up with handball was great to see. They had heaps of run. Uh, let's run through the goal kickers. Three to Dixon, three to McLean, three to Dale, three to Shacky, two to Will Hayes, who I thought was quite impressive, two to Norton, singles the rest. For the Bombers, two goals to Mark Bagley, the last two goals, Shield and McDonald, Tip and Woody, 
As far as best goes, uh, I will expand on this guy, so won't talk too much about him now. But Josh Dunkley, who's having a terrific season for the Doggies, thought he was great. Lockie Hunter, very good. Toby McLean, very impressive as well. They racked up the touches. McRae and Hunter both had 30-plus. The team stats were so revealing about this game. 124 more disposals, the Western Bulldogs. They are a high-possession team, but that is incredible discrepancy. 36 more contested possessions, 29 more inside 50s. Um, and Essendon, the heads dropped pretty early and it just got worse and worse. For me, probably the evening summed up by that ludicrous goal when Kyle Hooker got the ball at full back, went to short pass across the face of goal, kick was smothered and uh, Bailey Dale just socketed off the ground. And uh, the Bulldogs just, you could see their confidence growing. Six goals, four goals. Six goals in the third quarter, another five in the last. Um, as good a performance as they've turned on since the grand final win, no question about that. And uh, they are hitting some fantastic form. At times it looked like netball. You know, in a game of netball, you uh, when a team has the ball, they're just passing and passing, and all the opposition does is sort of get there with a hand or gets there a step late. Mm. And this ball in transition that you're talking about became almost mesmerising to watch. There was, of course, Dunkley. There was plenty of Bontempelli, McRae. Bailey Smith, I thought, played really well. The ball coming through the hands of Johannesson. And then they come into the forward line and there was separation. And separation came because of the speed with which they were moving the ball through the midfield. Essendon had committed probably too many players one-on-one to the contest. So Dixon would get off the leash. Shackey and Norton, to an extent, took some good marks. Didn't necessarily hit the scoreboard. But this was very much a game where Essendon's shredded midfield was exposed. And it is a shredded midfield, let's be honest. Mm. Uh, Merritt played well, I thought. He was all right. Heppel, brave but not right. I thought there were probably three you could have in the best, and you just named two of them. The other one I thought had a crack was Redmond. Yeah, yeah, I thought Redmond was good. And beyond that, there's no, unfortunately, there's no second tier of midfield, is there? There's a procession of players who continue to come in when there's injuries and continue not to take their chance. And unfortunately, I know I like him, but Cole Lankford, he just has not produced a cracker this season. So really disappointing. David Myers had played some pretty good VFL footy, but... He was an opportunity for David maybe to play well enough to be part of a finals campaign, but he Mm. didn't look anywhere near the pace, did he? No, um, I think, you know, Mark Bagley is clearly not part of their best 22 anymore, and and Ben McNeese has been tried now several times. He's, um, I'm afraid he's just not up to it. So, um, you know, at the start of this year, if you said Darcy Parrish was a huge loss, you'd think, oh, really? But, you know, they really missed him last night because through this injury run, he's been about their, their main sort of in and under consistent possession winner. Heppel... The number of players Essendon are clearly playing injured is also a factor here. Heppel isn't right, shouldn't be playing. Even more so, Horacio Fantasia. Like he, I mean, Warsfold basically said this after yeah. the game. He should check check in now for surgery and tell what the consequences because he can't get hands on footy anyway. He had one touch almost a half time. Uh, Hooker looks completely um, 
crippled with his back injury. You know, like he's he's struggling. So, yeah, look, they've been really hard hit by injuries. But like I said, you've got to have depth to cover them. And, and patently, their depth is not nearly up to scratch. Bulldogs, uh, they've still got a tough task to make the eight. Um, they've got Adelaide in that last round, of course. Who have they got next week, the Bulldogs, off the top of your head? Uh, Bulldogs, I'm not quite sure. Oh, well, let's, Port Adelaide? Is, you keep talking, I'll look it up. Okay. Well, I want to ask you a question while you're looking it up about Andrew McGrath. Yep. Is he going to be a midfielder? Is he capable of playing in the middle for Essendon? Yes, he is. Okay. Don't rate him? No, I do rate him. I, I absolutely do rate him. Yeah. But I guess this was the time for him to become step up and become that 30-possession winning midfielder. I, I think he's another one who's really starting to feel a pinch. He's had a lot of responsibility put on his shoulders. What is it now? His third season. Yep. It's been very consistent for them. Um, and I like his attitude too. No, I'm, I'm very confident he'll be a, a top-line midfielder for them for a long time. I'm still desperately looking for who the Bulldogs are playing next week. Keep going. The Bulldogs have now the big power midfield that I think most teams try and assemble. Because if you ever look at the body size of their midfielders, it really is 2019, isn't it? You've got Josh Dunkley. You've got, obviously, uh, Bontempelli is a fantastic player. And either he's doing something brilliant, or he's attracting two or three opponents. Essendon, every time Bontempelli was rolling onto the ball, Essendon players with a man became obsessed with Bontempelli. His presence creates opportunities, but the fact that they're big and powerful, I think, almost guarantees them midfield supremacy against most teams. Um, yeah, and speaking of which, they've got GWS next week. Oh, GWS... Uh, in at uh, Giant Stadium. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, we're talking about midfield, depleted midfields well, up against a powerful midfield. They should roll over the top of them, shouldn't they? They should. And, uh, of course, they're playing Adelaide and Ballarat. So you think they're going to win their last two. And uh, there's some pretty sick-looking teams inside the eight. So, you know, right, right now I'd be backing them to make it. All right, enough of that game. There was another Saturday night game down at the Cattery, and it was suitably cold down there. All right, another win to the Cats on their home deck and a big win in the finish. Nine goals, 15-69, 55-point victors over North Melbourne who ended up with their lowest ever score since coming into the VFL in 1925. A miserable one goal, eight, 14 points. Just three points after half time. For the Kangaroos, um, you'd look at that scoreline and think it was a, a wet weather game, but it wasn't that wet down bit, there, was it? It's precipitated in the last quarter only, Rowan. Yes, okay. Just on that north score, um, their previous lowest was two goals, seven nineteen set in 1930. Bit of rain in the last quarter, actually. I just looked up my weather report, but uh, all clear before that. And uh, Paddy Dangerfield, yet again, 31 disposals for him. Mitch Duncan, 27 for him. The big pluses for me for the Cats finding, we, we talked about this, they're just their side was beginning to resemble the Geelong of the last couple of seasons. When they were exciting early this year, it was off the back of a few positional switches and a few exciting young players, one of whom bounced back very, very effectively. And I'm speaking, of course, of Grian Myers, three goals, 
to little mophead small forward. And I like this bloke, Quentin Narkel, came back into the side, 21 disposals for him and two goals too. And both those two made a difference. And it's that sort of youthful flair and excitement, I think, that can make Geelong a premiership threat. Without that, I don't think they are. That was a really big inclusion, Quinton Narkel, for mine. Mm. We know that Geelong have those seasoned practitioners, Dangerfield, slightly diminished returns now from Joel Selwood, Ablett. Mitch Duncan always gives you a good possession-winning performance, and it really is going to be whether or not they can get some outside runs, some dash happening, I think, that is what the other teams have that keeps them in the race for the premiership. And Quinton Narkle put his hand up and said, I could be that man. Very, It's a point of difference, really, from the type of players that have been rotated in and out of the team. And another, another one potentially to come in, Cockatoo, which would be, I mean, again, it would be a huge gamble to play him, given how little football he's seen. But... They're the sort of players they need to have in that team. Correct. And it's better than sort of rolling through one of the Guthries or or Scott Selwood. No criticism of these players, but those jobs are already well covered by players in the team. So he had a point of difference with Quinton Narkel, and it showed. It showed with some outside dash and run. And you could just tell when he got the ball, there was a level of excitement, not only in the crowd, but also... It energizes players to run to leads, to move, you know, to move quickly, anticipating a handball because he does break up play. Interesting that they went without Zach Smith or Reece Stanley. Of course, mm. Zach Smith a late withdrawal, and Mark Blitzevs proved that versatility that was very effective in the game against Collingwood by going into the ruck and being a mobile, capable ruckman, and, and that's important. So, do you think they'll stay with that? Not necessarily, but if the conditions demanded it, it could be a late change that happens very much if Zach Smith is in the team. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting next week because they've got Brisbane, and Brisbane, of course, has Stefan Martin and Oscar McInerney. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't see Blitzhaves competing against two decent ruckmen. No, very interesting to see who they choose to come into the team, whether it is Smith or Stanley. The Well, well done to Todd Goldstein. He Kicking did, the goal. did a Mark Arsiri, didn't he? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a funny. It's amazing, isn't it? Like, because you look at you look at that scoreline twenty years down the track and go, "Oh, that's one of the most abject uh, games in the history of the club." But it, they've been belted by. I mean, they got belted by one hundred and twenty-seven points in a qualifying final by my boys. I mean, this is you know, it's nine goals. But um, Reece Shaw had an interesting take on it. What was it? He said it wasn't terrible because it, at halftime they were still in the game, which they were, and. He asked them to chase the game a bit in that second half and to try and be more offensive-minded. And every time they did, they got every time they sort of went down the middle or or looked to take the game on, they got picked open. You so, know, um, I was bracing myself this morning to see the first of the inevitable. Did North Melbourne go too early on appointing Ray Shaw stories? And sure enough, there, there it was, was there was one. Yep. Uh, well, it was we've. We like this guy, but he did say Damien Barrett on the Sunday footy show, I think. Okay. There's a lot of wisdom in hindsight in football, isn't there? Well, that's crazy talk. Oh, look, this game was one that North Melbourne did not, unfortunately. We talk about getting a foothold in a game of football, and they just simply did not. 
hit the scoreboard, and they had some chances in that first half. I mean, one goal was probably a disappointing return. They missed a couple of shots that they could have got. So would they have been in the game? Maybe for a little bit longer. But in the end, they were overpowered, and Scott Thompson, who announced his retirement during the week. Yeah, and uh, incidentally, I forgot to tweet something, to be perfectly honest, but well done, Scotty. He is a guy Great who... Career. Well, I know it's a cliche, but talk about getting the most out of yourself. Yeah, I mean, he, my favourite thing was that when he went forward and kicked that goal once, remember? Yeah, I think that was against Essendon, that from a, memory. There was great mirth. And he's tate, he had a couple of tater tates with Barry Hall. Yes, famous tater tates, literally yes. head, head-to-heads. Yes. So, Scott Thompson, you're right, not only did he get the most out of his career, but whenever he didn't play, their back line was much poorer for it. All right, one question, one word answer. Can Geelong win the Premiership? No. Uh, yes, for me. Yeah? Yeah, I'm not saying they will, but they oh, can. I mean, if, it can. I look at it, are they likely to win the Premiership? Sorry. Of course they can. But to me, Richmond and West Coast have really put in the sort of month prior to the finals that they set them aside. Same here, but it only takes one upset. Doesn't yeah, of course, it? So, of course, so, of so can. So your answer is yes. To yes, can. I can. All right. You get un- 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 uh, inappropriately annoyed by that question. Yeah, but, but because I hear, I actually heard it asked in a in a sense of an EPL question. Talk about the EPL starting terribly for West Ham fans. I saw that. Oh my god! Five 0 to Manchester City. And lucky, <laughs> could have been double that. Um, and they the question was asked: Can Tottenham win the title? And this person said they can. And then they were asked, but will they? And they got really offended and said, look, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know whether they will, but they can. And I realised they're both sort of silly questions. Uh, For me, is Geelong likely to win the flag? No. Uh, But of course they can. Yeah, no for me. No likely can, yes. If that makes sense. All right, let's talk You're about... You're like a promoter wanting Geelong people to buy tickets to the big show. <laughs> roll up, roll up. You can win it. All right, let's talk about Sunday. Marvel Stadium, Sunday afternoon, one ten pm A cracking game, this. You wouldn't say it was a great game, but it was exciting. It was neck and neck. Uh, various moments during the game at which either side looked like they might win. In the end... A thriller, a three-point win to the Saints with a winning goal coming in the last minute, courtesy of Josh Bruce. Final scores, 10-12, 72, the Saints to Fremantle, whose final chances basically ended with this defeat, 10-9-69. Three goals to Jack Stephen, a hero in his return to senior footy for the Saints. Two goals to Hanabry, two goals to Membry, singles the rest, and for the Dockers, two to five, two to Matera. Singles the rest. Well, I thought after five minutes, so here we go, Frio hasn't turned up again on the road when St Kilda kicked the first three goals. At one stage, finally, 11 to 1 inside 50 St Kilda's way. But the Dockers, to their credit, they pulled it back. It was that uh, inside 50 count was 16 7 by quarter time. And then late in the second quarter, it had completely evened up 18 each. So they really fought their way back into the game, uh, courtesy once again of Nat Fife, who was outstanding for the Dockers. 35 disposals and two goals for him. And the last couple of minutes, gee, you know, in a mistake-riddled game, I thought Frio made more mistakes, and they will absolutely rue the last couple of minutes. They had a nine-point lead. 
key moment for me, Brad Hill, and yeah, look, he's a great player, but he gets the ball in the back pocket from a, uh, was it a mark, I think, and uh, proceeds to kick it out in the full. Gives the ball back. Jack Stephen kicks a really good, good goal. Back to three points of difference with two and a half minutes left to play. And then uh, it was Nick Hind, I think, found Josh Bruce with a lovely pass on the chest. And Bruce kicks what proved to be the winning goal. Just 39 seconds left um, when he kicked that goal on the ball. More importantly, two seconds left before he had to kick it. Yes, yes. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, he, he used his time well. And the ball in Frio's forward line when the siren went, that's three out of four for the Saints under the coaching of Brett Ratton. Surely he gets the gig now, Finey. They've been great in close finishes, haven't they, Fremantle? And it looked like they were going to pull off another one. Really, they... Because that last quarter, St Kilda simply couldn't kick a goal. Mm. For much of the last quarter, there were no goals scored. Mm. Then finally, Matera... Uh, split the middle with a an excellent set shot, which, by the way, should have been a 50-metre yeah. penalty. Who was that went into his back? Was it Hunter s- Clark. I yeah, mean, it was right. crazy. He took a mark and then just got drilled into the ground. Yeah. I don't uh, know why that wasn't. Well, it's funny. The Saints fans were pretty um, uh, angsty about the umpiring. How do you feel about well, the umpiring? There were odd decisions both ways. Definitely no advantage to one team or the other. I'll tell you if I think any side is hard done by, but particularly my own. But no, that wasn't the problem. The problem was St Kilda, again, just seemed to like bombing the ball into the forward line. Their kick into the forward line really is a Hail Mary play, which is why it was very fortuitous that Nick Hind, one of the few players who actually does lower his vision and look for a leading player, got that ball that ultimately was kicked to Josh Bruce. Now he's it? been a good pickup for Very the Saints. Good pick up. Very yeah, good Essendon player. should have drafted him. He played for Essendon in the VFL, VFL last year. Should have drafted him. I really like the way he takes the game on, but a lot of players who go on the dash then seem to lose perspective of what to do with it. But he very, very much creates a bit of space by taking on the game and looks for a, a player to hit upfield. So I like that in his game. St Kilda were almost out of the game at quarter time, by the way. It looked as though Rowan Marshall was at least had done his hamstring, if not his knee. Yeah, I couldn't work out whether it was a hamstring or the knee. Well, whatever it was, it wasn't serious enough to stop him. But had he not come back on the ground, St Kilda had no Ruckman. I mean, they would have had to go with Carlisle and probably Josh Bruce. And I thought Carlisle was pretty important, actually, because he was fairly decisive in his ability to stop the intercept mark, that you know, take that intercept mark in the back line. But I'll tell you one thing about Carlisle that I've learned. At some point in the game, he's going to do something ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and he incredibly picked out a Fremantle player with a short pass towards the end of the game. It was the worst kick I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, it went to, um, who's 15 again? Uh, one of them. Banfield? One, yeah, no, he's 41. One of their men. One of their types. Well, I just had to look up another one because uh, poor old, is it Justin Carter? Um, yep. Gave away that goal in the second quarter. Yeah, that, well, the, the, one, the kick to Dunstan? Yeah. Well, that was poor. Yeah, well, the, this was after they got the ball in the far right pocket. It was David Mundy who said, we're going to slow it down. Yep. They proceeded to turn it over. I mean, why do sides whose skills are questionable insist on trying to play a, a possession game? Well, look, both teams are poor at that. But the one thing I liked about the game is that St Kilda bring a pretty desperate effort 
when they are on song, and they, they were on song. And Fremantle really matched that after the first 15 minutes. It was hammer and tong for a lot of the game. You know, it was pretty ferocious. Mm. Maybe the skills weren't there, which is, I'll talk about him a little bit later on. To me, Daniel Hannabury, I understand now what a bit of class, class is permanent, isn't it? Mm. Just when he got the ball, he, he, on a number of occasions, knew what to do with it. Either got rid of it quickly or picked out a teammate. I thought he was really good, Dan Hannabury. And showed exactly what St Kilda could have if they can get his body right for next season. For next season. So uh, looking ahead quickly for Freo, is that the end of them? Look, it was a good result for Essendon because it is the end for them. They play Essendon next week. Not officially though, is it? I'm just having yeah, a look. It's pretty at... official. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now, had they won this game, they would have been cherry ripe to rip Essendon apart. Yeah. Now it's going to be a bit of a letdown. It gives Essendon. A glimmer of hope over mm, in the West. Tiny glimmer, yep. And uh, Saints going ahead? Well, they play Carlton and Sydney. They can win both those games. They can't make the eight. What about next year? Yeah, I think it's encouraging. I think... Do you think there's a St Kilda... I'd like to see Jack Stevens stay. Oh, I'm sure he'll stay, won't he? Not necessarily. You, know, you think he might go Geelong? Well, he, there's a pull for him to go. He's from Lawn, and there's mm. a pull for him to go there. Uh, do, do but you, he looked really happy when the game was over. Do you think it's fair to say at least 90% of St Kilda supporters want to see Brett Ratton <laughs> appointed coach? I'd like to meet the 10% that don't. Yeah, okay. And who they think should be coach. Yeah. So, well, and you might people might laugh at this and go, well, so what? It's just the nuffies. But if the club goes against you know, what is clearly the popular uh, wish for the appointment and a guy who's won three out of four goes with someone else. If they don't pick Ratton, you've got a guy that should never have been sector Carlton, was considered integral at Hawthorne, yep. comes to St Kilda, has a great period as a caretaker coach. Yeah. Whoever takes, whoever would be appointed instead of him would immediately be... Up against it. Up against it, because people would be saying, well, hang on, why? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You couldn't, you couldn't lose a game exactly. without people exactly. saying, why not Ratton? Which is why very they might very well be forced into it, even if they don't want to. And I'm not saying they don't want to. I think that's more the case at Carlton, incidentally, which uh, we'll talk about shortly. MCG, Sunday afternoon, 3.20, the Tigers taking on the Blues, and it was an efficient enough win to Richmond in the end, 28 points over the Blues, 11 goals, 7, 73, defeating Carlton, 6, 9, 45, four goals to Jack Graham, there's a one out of the box for the Tigers, two goals to Lynch, two goals to Rewalt, singles the rest. And for the Blues, your boy Mitch McGovern looked injured there again for a while. <laughs> Two goals to Mitch McGovern. Great recovery. And uh, singles the rest. Uh, Tigers got the jump on the Blues here. Three goals in the first quarter. And the lead was out to five goals by half time. by which time the Blues had only kicked one in uh, keeping with several other sides this weekend. But... Um, hats off to the Blues. They hung in there. They didn't fold. And definitely a bit more resilience about this side under David Teague. Uh, three goals to two in the third quarter. And then two goals to three in the final term. They were never going to win. They got within about uh, three goals. With oh, They were still within three goals with about six or seven minutes left to play. Tigers closed it out pretty efficiently. At the end, in fact, the final goal to Jason Castagna came from a mark which I could have sworn was taken at least 
a microsecond after the final sign rang. Umpires didn't hear it, of course, so all academic, really. 28 points in the end to the Tigers. Um, Not a pretty performance, this, really, by anyone, but uh, got the job done, which is uh, what you need to do this time of year. Which is what we were predicting on Thursday, what a lot of people felt would happen. Richmond are... They're not flexing their muscles particularly, but they are definitely getting the job done because they know, really, that the job starts in earnest next round against the West Coast Eagles at the MCG. So they got out to an early lead. The only goal in the first half of Carlton was by Matthew Cruz. It came pretty late in that second quarter. And they never let them get close enough to get the... Sweat beads going. Richmond really controlled the game. Very quiet game for Jack Rewalt. Only, I think, um, you know, six kicks, a couple of goals. Tom Lynch was okay. The standout was Jack Graham. Kicked four first-half goals. Immense pressure with tackling in the mid-teens. Had a standout game. And with the late withdrawal of Dustin Martin, I think Richmond were just planning to get to the MCG and leave with the four points and no, nobody in the uh, injury room. And that's basically what they did. For Carlton, Cripps was great again. Uh, wholehearted effort and might be interesting come Brownlow time. He was close to best on ground. Yeah, I, I suppose that's almost the most significant thing is that, that they, they got the job done without Dusty. And the other mids did step up. I thought Dion Presti are very good. Uh, Shane Edwards... Um, yeah, good game in his uh, milestone game too, two fifty for Shane Edwards. So appropriate celebrations for him. Um, and they're good at wins like this, aren't they? They're good at uh, they can be spectacular, but they're good at the unspectacular grinding wins when they have to. They're a, a side for all seasons, really. The Tigers, aren't they? They yeah. are. Amazing career, Shane Edwards. Two fifty games. Yeah, I why mean, is that amazing? Because he's. I'm not saying he's done it quietly because he's been a very good player in the last few years as mm. Richmond have found their better selves, but he's playing as well as he as a, as as he ever has been. Pardon me. He's going to hit 300, no question. Yeah, his body's been sound right throughout his career. He's going to end up uh, in the top echelon of games played, and certainly. As far as quality football, he's playing the best football of his career now. And that, that is saying something 250 games into a league career. I'll tell you what, the uh, Jack Graham's symbolic of this for me. What the Tigers have, which is what Carlton don't, are these sort of mid-size guys who can play forward, get a kick in midfield, strong bodies. But they can... They can they've sort of got two strings to the bow. You know, Caddy's another one. Um uh, Townsend did that role in the Premiership two years ago. You know, they they can pick up a kick midfield. They can go forward and kick a goal. And they uh, can keep the ball in the forward line. Yeah, yeah, with pressure. And that's still an Achilles heel for the Blues. Might have gone in a bit tall, Carlton, today, given the conditions. Um, of course, with Mackay, McGovern and Casbolt up forward. So couldn't really trap the ball inside that 50 when it went in there. A good game by Cade Simpson, speaking of players at the senior end of their career, and he still provides value for the Blues. It's You've got to say, for Carlton, again, another performance that would have to be... You'd have to give it a tick, really, wouldn't you? I, I think so. Um, you know, a game like this was classic sort of 
fade into insignificance and end up with one or two goals for the entire game. Um, and you know they really, they really have got a stronger spine under David Teague. So where do we stand on the Teague question now? Interesting game next week because the two caretaker coaches still in waiting, Teague and Ratton, meet each other at the MCG next week. And I, I think that's a, a toss of the coin game, isn't it, really? Yeah. Carlton versus St Kilda. Yeah. I, I, I still, I don't think anything has happened in the last few weeks, even whilst not winning anymore, which has harmed Teague's prospects. They are at the very worst competitive. There's not a popular choice outside of David Teague. No, there's not a, yeah, well, it's ditto with, it's been the same for me with all three cases. There is no compelling enough case for someone beyond the ranks of the guys who have who took over after the coach left. For some reason, Brad's got quickly became on the nose, sort of. Yeah, well, I, I fans, think... Fans have not warmed to him from any of the... Any of the uh, other two clubs? Yeah, and I think sort of... Fun- either of the other two clubs? Funnily enough, the perception of this link between him and Simon Lethlean hasn't helped his prospects at St Kilda, no. has it? Nor Brett Ratton's popularity. So, with him on the outer, I don't think Michael Voss has been a popular suggestion either at Carlton. Well, there are people who keep saying Voss is the man for Carlton. I'm just trying to remember which former player suggested this the other day, but... Um, Again, I, I think they're sort of in a position here where they're it's it's like St Kilda. They're going to be people power might end up winning the day. I think, and you know, whoever if the candidate isn't the guy who's temporarily filling the role, it's going to have to be someone people are happy with. And I think those two guys we've just mentioned, people aren't necessarily happy with that. There's only one person outside David Teague that Carlton people would be happy with. Who's that? Ron Barassi? Brett Ratton. Oh, Brad, Brad, yeah, well, I that, feel a lot of Carlton people feel that he was hard done by. No doubt. And look at him as a a, a very well-credentialed coach, which is why St Kilda shouldn't sit on their hands. Okay, so an efficient enough win to the Tigers, which sets up what should be a cracking clash against one of the two sides in the final game of Round 21. And the weekend wrapped up in Perth, Optus Stadium Sunday afternoon with a perhaps surprisingly hard-fought 10-point victory to the Eagles, 13-12-90, just managing to hold off the Crows, 12-8-80. Now, they've copped a lot of flack this season, the Crows, but this was one of their better performances, finally. They just kept hanging in there, two goals down at quarter time, and you thought, oh, here we go, transmission as usual. But it was the Crows that really hit back hard in the second quarter with five goals to three, uh, behind by only one point at half time. Similarly, Eagles five goals to two in the third quarter, and they led very comfortably by 22 points at last change. And you thought all over she wrote, but nope, the Crows came again with four goals, three in that final term to two goals, three by the Eagles. And uh, a few anxious moments for a side aspiring to the flag. Puts a dent in Adelaide's finals hopes, obviously, but they've still got two rounds to get there. And uh, they actually, if not leaving with the points, will have left Optus Stadium with a bit of confidence, I feel. It's interesting. West Coast obviously put a lot of time into Tom Lynch. They kept him out of the game. Uh, Taylor Walker was kept very quiet. Eddie Betts. But they obviously didn't 
reckon on one Mr. Fogarty. Well, there you go. And that's that's a fantastic sign for the Crows' future, isn't it? Five goals for him. He's an interesting one, Fogarty, because he was really talked up at, uh, not last year, the year before, end of 2017's draft. And, the new Rashudo. Yeah, well, yeah, he's... Oh, no, I'm not going to say he's better than that. He's uh, more potent in scoreboard terms than Mark Rashudo. He's got a booming kick on him. Uh, every time I've seen him at senior level, I've thought he's looked pretty good. He's Don Pike's marked him quite harshly in selection terms, I think. Yeah, he might be one of those players when the ball's in the opposition hands doesn't complete the contract. He's, I think the knock on him was how hard he worked with the ball as compared to how hard he works when he doesn't have the ball. There was a bit of a gulf there. And we know that football's so much about systems now and about commitment to maintaining shape and following your opponent and making it hard wherever they are on the field, that he was considered a bit of a soft touch. I imagine he's worked on that because you don't get back into the side until you correct those wrongs. But offensively, he's very dangerous. Well, two other um, performances of note. One, Daniel Talia on Josh Kennedy really pulled the shutters up on the Coleman medalist. And that was crucial in the Crows giving themselves a chance. But also Sam Jacobs playing his first senior game since I think it was round two. Mm-hmm. But he was he was terrific for the Crows, and yeah. he kept them in it too. So you look at that and you wonder, well, you know, we know your boy O'Brien's been pretty good for the Crows, but should Jacobs have been out of a side this long? He certainly is staking a claim for a position if that team makes the finals. And they will probably go right down to the final week, travelling to Mars Stadium in Ballarat against the Bulldogs to find out whether or not they're going to play finals football this year. Full credit to Jack Darling. He had a very poor start to the season, but he's in ripping form. Actually was used a bit in the ruck and was quite effective as well. So a good game by him. They got the usual guilt edge performance out of the likes of Shuey and Gaff. And it was just enough to keep Adelaide at arm's length all day. We Whilst we give Adelaide a great deal of credit, we should also note that West Coast never really looked like losing this game. So what does this result... And, and by the way, that might have been different had Rory Sloan not run into Matt Crouch. Yeah, no, fair point. They lost a key midfielder, Adelaide, at the wrong time early in the third quarter. So as it stands, the Crows outside the eight. They've got, as you mentioned, the Bulldogs in Ballarat in the last round. What a... Bizarre scenario to decide a final spot. And uh, before that, though, they've got Collingwood at Adelaide Oval next Saturday, the Twilight game. So will the Crows make it finally? What a, it, it becomes so interesting. You'd tip Adelaide to beat Collingwood, but Collingwood have an ability to get on the road and make it very hard for teams that get ahead of themselves. The last thing Adelaide want to be doing is counting their chickens and thinking about round 23 before they complete the contract in 22. They should beat Collingwood because Collingwood are pretty beleaguered at the moment up front, finding it hard to get a winning score on the board. I I think they miss out because I think Bulldogs will beat them. Yeah, it's interesting. Just looking at the percentage gap between the Crows and the Bulldogs too, about uh, 5% or so. So Bulldogs still got a bit of work to do. They'd have to win by a fair bit. Uh, but the Bulldogs, are are they level with them? Uh, they are. Well, if the Bulldogs win next week, then they just need to beat Adelaide to get, at least get ahead of Adelaide. And of course, Essendon become a factor as well, whether or not there are two spots available in the eight or one. 
All right, uh, final question. You know I'm going to ask it. Can West Coast win the Premiership? Yes, they definitely can. Will West Coast win the Premiership? Will they? Toss of the coin. Look, it's them or Richmond for mine. And all throughout the year I've been a bit of a naysayer when it comes to West Coast, but no longer. You know what could be what they should not do? What? Is aim to smuggle Nick Natanui into the team at the end of the season. I really think that if they played him, he could break down and you lose a Ruckman in a prelim or a grand final, that'll cruel you. I think they've got the right formula now. Can they win with this team? Absolutely. Will they win? Maybe. Oh, oh sorry, I'm not going to write Richmond. Now you're equivocating. I am going to equivocate because will they win? I think they and Richmond will be the grand, if not the grand finalist because of ladder position, one of them will hold the trophy. I agree with you. Um, I'm asking you now for a premiership tip. Richmond. I'm going West Coast. Yeah, fair, fair enough. I, I do that with no confidence, I say, yeah, the Tigers. Yeah, no, ditto. Uh, it's going to be a fascinating final two rounds. All right, there's all nine games of round 21 done and dusted. Let's talk about the highs and the lows. On footyology, hot not okay we all know how this works i'm going first i've got a hot and his name is josh dunkley what a fantastic a-grade midfielder this guy has turned into of course that's how he was recruited but um i think most people probably came to know him as a smaller forward didn't they that was the role he played in that famous 2016 premiership win He's had 30-plus disposals for the Doggies in seven of his last 10 games, averaging 28.4 per game, which puts him in the upper echelon possession-wise of midfielders in the game. And he just keeps getting better and better. He was equal fifth in their best and fairest last year. I can't think of a father-son product who's been less... Uh, like the father. Less like the father in terms of the, the size, the profile, the sort of player. Uh, not to mention his kicking. I mean, he's not a great kick, but he's not a poor kick either, I don't think. And he's deceptively big too. I know that sounds funny, but uh, when you see him up close, he's got quite a big body. Very good overhead too. That's from the father, definitely. Um, and he's just been such great value. And you think about, uh, I can't think of a troika of midfielders who are more consistent high-possession winners than Dunkley, McRae and Bontempelli. Or, you know, on Saturday night, you could probably have Punter on a possession front instead of Bontempelli. But he just racks them up, and he's a he's a terrific contested ball player, good clearance winner, great value. And it just seems staggering to me that the Swans overlooked the opportunity to pick him up. I think uh, Bulldogs took him with a second-round bid. And uh, the Swans said, no, all yours. So uh, their loss, and of course, you know, plays in a premiership win against the Swans, which would have hurt them, no doubt. I think he's a gun. Rare miss by the Swans on that score, and one that they will regret. My first hot is Dan Hannabury. Look, he's a bloke that has come under, well, St Kilda's come under a great deal of criticism for recruiting him. And look, fair enough. He's only played his third game of the season this weekend against Fremantle. For a guy that really, since uh, he last played, hadn't had any football at all because he has not come back through the VFL. He had three weeks off with a hamstring injury, then a week off with gastro. 
he immediately got into the tempo of the game, kicked two great goals in the first quarter, and from that point on, showed a great deal of class in a game that lacked a fair bit of class, apart from Fife. There wasn't a lot going on on that side of the ledger, and I just think for a player that's been heavily criticised, he came out and really played a great game of football for St Kilda. So well done, Dan Hanabry. Yeah, good call. Uh, and there's another Premiership player having swapped clubs. Uh, not for me next, and it is scoring. And yes, I know it was a weekend of largely inclement weather, but um, we've had three score lines this weekend of 4-5, 4-9 and 1-8. And I was having a look down the scores as a whole in a grid and I thought I'm reading the Argus from 1899 and I'm about to read the report of the round from Kickaroo or someone. I mean, <laughs> Spyglass notes. Well, seriously, they, these are scores of the 19th century, Finey. And I know we all know scoring's come down and it's harder to score when it's wet, but... Are you serious? One eight four five four nine. Um, football's pretty hard to watch in poor conditions. Even harder to watch when sides can go quarters without even looking like kicking a goal. And I just wish coaches would relinquish this obsession with defence just a tiny bit and try and get the offensive balance a bit more in sync with the defensive side of the game because it makes for some soporific watching of football games. Two of those scores that you read out included score goalless second halves. Yes. And my second call is a not, and it's not hot to GWS, who for the last couple of weeks have crafted narrow wins and simply had to continue going to the well because they're playing for a spot in the top four. And their effort in the second half was not just disappointing, it was almost uh, typical of the team that people don't trust. So if they had gained some sort of ground in recent weeks with injuries and showing a bit of character to win with injured players on the sidelines, classy players like Kelly and Coniglio, they lose it all in the second half against and Canberra against Hawthorne because they have to keep the effort up. All right, they lose by a goal, they lose by 10 points, it's not their turn. But they chucked the towel in. They had two or three contributors in that second half. I thought that Toby Green maybe could hold his head high. You could give some credit to Taranto maybe, Whitfield. And beyond that, their guys just did not play the game out. And that's not acceptable when you're playing for such high stakes. So people that don't trust GWS confirm their greatest um, apprehensions on Friday night, which is... Poor showing by that team. Yep, no, agree, agree 100%. Final one for me is a hot, and his name is Jeremy Howe. We talked about him during the Melbourne Collingwood game. He's been an outstanding pickup for the Magpies, and I reckon he, you know, for a long time there, he threatened to be the bloke who takes hangers all the time, and yes, that is absolutely his strongest suit, but I reckon he's done a lot less of it with the Magpies, and that's no. Uh, coincidence either. I think as the focus of his game has become more about being an all-round defender, um, there's probably been less propensity to fly. He still does it when the the situation arises, but uh, that's not his whole CV now. And um, he is one of the best 
key defenders in the game. Um, still quite often undersized for some of the blokes he picks up. He was terrific against the Demons. Admittedly, you know, they didn't have much of a forward set up, but 22 disposals, eight marks, reads the play brilliantly. Um, you know, he was. I reckon there was a lot of cynicism when he went from Melbourne to Collingwood, as there was with Lyndon Dunn, who also was playing good footy for Collingwood till he got injured. But um, this guy has has been a terrific pickup. He's a bona fide quality defender who's been outstanding for Collingwood. Uh, ripping bloke too. I think uh, anyone who's dealt with him would agree with that. He's been terrific for the Pies and an absolute mainstay of a defence which can be underrated at times. So well done, Jeremy Howe. And I finish with a hot and I agree, concur with every word you said about uh, Jeremy Howe. I'm a huge fan of his. The final hot for me is Jack Graham. End discussion. End discussion on Jack Graham. Whether he's a precocious talent that lives up to his talent, whether he's uh, sometimes not got his head in the game. What What is Jack Graham? He's an entertainer, but is he a 100-minute footballer? Forget the discussion. He is an absolute ripper. And it's not the four goals he kicked in the first half because they were telling, of course, in a rain-soaked, low-scoring affair. It was the, and I lost count, at about 15 tackles that he executed in on an afternoon when, again, Richmond measured their quality by harassing opponents and applying pressure, he is fantastic at it. He is a terrier with talent and a going to be a key player in September. All right, good work. They are our highs and lows of the weekend. Finey, I'm pretty angry. I would have thought that your rant might be worth bottling. Well, I've tried to keep an even head about it, but uh, let's see how I go. Let's get into it. On Footyology... The rant off. Okay, then uh, I think I'm going to let you go first this week, Finey. I'm going to um, I'm going to just work up my head of steam a little bit more. So uh, I look forward to be entertained by yours, as we always are, of course. Three, two, one, rant. Many years ago, our forefathers, not being able to decide where our capital city should be, Melbourne or Sydney, drew a line. And halfway between the two found the coldest, most inhospitable point, one that would be perfect for selling fireworks and pornography, and named it our nation's capital. They called it Canberra, or as Dory Evans would refer to it thereafter, Canberra. It's not a place you go to unless you're a politician, a petty bureaucrat, or a tourist on the way to Queanbeyan who got lost. Why on earth you would play a Friday night football game there in the cold early early cold weeks of August, I don't know, other than to have that incredible sight of snow. The fact is, nothing really works in Canberra, does it? They've tried football teams there and they fail dismally. They've tried to make it a tourist attraction and, of course, it's about as attractive tourist-wise as hmm, maybe Adelaide. Really, the only reason that there is football in Canberra is because of the AFL's greedy attempt to get a little bit out of something, out of every town, a little bit. And this little bit has amounted in poor football played in the worst conditions by a home team that couldn't care and an away team, Hawthorne, that didn't know how to lose. So there you have it. Canberra, home to, home to our, well, it's our nation's capital. Home to failed design, home to 
very little inspiration in terms of politics, and now home to the most memorable, memorable game of football in terms of weather. It snowed at quarter time. It doesn't snow goals. It actually snows. A good reason never, ever to turn off from yes. <laughs> and we've just lost our entire audience from the nation's capital, so apologies to you. Um, I've only been there. In fact, we went there together, didn't we, for a bloody cold that a, night. A, uh, hall, a AFL Hall of um, Australian Football Hall of Fame night, which uh, they had in Parliament House. And uh, didn't they have to, they had to interrupt the ceremony because there was a division and the yeah. bells started ringing and yeah, it was weird. And we still had to, uh, we didn't get enough food and we had to stop at Macca's on the way home, as you do. But it, uh, but if, it was zero when we... <laughs> yes, it was. It was. And uh, I remember as we stopped at Macca's lamenting the fact that we couldn't have an Andrews hamburger, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. All right. I'm just working myself up into a lather here. <clears throat> Count me in. One, two, bombs away. I'm pissed off with my team, Finey. Seriously pissed off. There's only so much mediocrity you can take, and if you're an Essendon fan, you've now had to put up with it for nearly two decades. We all know the lines. Yep, the only club except Gold Coast not to win a final since 2004. Equal longest premiership drought in the club's history coming up. But this is about more than that. Frankly, Essendon fans these days would be happy enough knowing their players could give a toss longer than a few weeks in a row. Yeah, so the Bombers have got injuries. So have GWS, so have Collingwood, so did Richmond earlier this season. They all managed to claw their way through them. I thought the Dons had too. But looking at it now, what were those wins against GWS, Sydney, North Melbourne, Adelaide and Gold Coast worth? Three of them aren't even in the eight, and the other two are hanging in there by a thread. What's the next stage on from dropping your bundle? Because Essendon did that already last week against Port Adelaide. Against the Bulldogs, they didn't have a bundle to drop, so they dropped their guts instead. That's the sort of foul stench that is in the air when your side kicks its first goal 18 seconds into the first quarter and kicks its next 22 minutes into the last, conceding 21 goals in the meantime. Essendon has now suffered 14 losses by more than 100 points in 123 years. Six of those have come since 2006. There's been a dozen losses by 90 points or more in that same period. For a team constantly putting itself forward as a legitimate contender and a competition behemoth, that's, well, how can I put it? It's um, shithouse. This is a club which is close to the most loyal supporter base in footy, Finey. More than 84,000 members this season, a figure that actually went up 6% despite yet another disappointing year in which the club failed to make finals. They've stuck fat through all sorts of disasters and setbacks, none the least the biggest scandal to hit the game a few years back. And yes, the off-field side has been repaired. But really... That's not nearly enough. The club only exists and the supporters are only there because of what happens on the field. And those supporters deserve much better than what you've been giving them for a long time now, Essendon. Losing is one thing. Losing and not looking like you give a stuff about it is another altogether. So spare us the letters to members this week and po-face sermons about atonement. Enough of the wacky videos of guys dyeing their hair. Just give us some hard ball gets, some tackles that actually stick, or to paraphrase the great Ron Barassi to Jared Healy back in their Melbourne days, you give me some effort and I'll shut up. Pretty hard felt that, Rowan. It was. 
Very heartfelt. I'm very annoyed. It was pretty hard keeping it together on the boundary for 3AW, watching that aberration before me. And, need I say it, and I'm not one for these things usually, but seeing guys run on and off the interchange bench, having a rueful chuckle about it in the last quarter of that game. No names, no pack drill. Essendon played, you say. Yep. Oh dear. But uh, you need to be better than that. Anyway, a feisty end to the show. Time for us to go. Uh, thanks for your support once again. Let's sign off with a reminder about our competition. Now this week we've had football grounds used for things other than football, maybe on Saturday night. But give us a dual purpose that's novel for a football ground. So they've played football on this ground and what other sport or event might be a theatrical event or a religious event. All worthy all worthy contributions and will be read out if they're funny or interesting. All right, uh, send your entries into info at footyology.com.au. Our lucky winner will receive an Andrews Hamburgers T-shirt in your size, an Andrews Hamburgers cap and a 100% organic cotton Argan gym towel valued at $35. A wonderful prize pack. Get your entries in and get them in often. We're done, Finey. Are we ready to sign off? If you've got a song. I have. You know how we did Rush the other week, La Villa Strangiato? It was snowing in Canberra. Snow songs. I've got the perfect one. Another favourite Rush song, Bytor and the Snow Dog. No chance. Why not? We're not doing Rush every fortnight. Oh, come on. It's a ripper. And it goes for eight minutes. (laughs) Exactly. Like all of their songs. No, I felt that I was waiting for the opportunity. If you do Rush, I do my favourite. Okay. No, no. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So what do you got in mind? Ramstein. Oh, Ramstein. So we're going German. This is uh, Ramstein, of course, a very popular German, uh, what do you call them, thrash metal? Industrial. Industrial, yeah. They're very German. Teutonic hard rock. They're like sort of craft work if they were headbangers completely off their faces on every drug and chemical known to mankind. Thank you. All right, so which Ramstein song? Well, I was thinking about the game between your Bombers and the Bulldogs. Okay. And they've got a song called Book Dish, which means bend over. Oh, okay, thanks. And really, you were bent over? Yes, I guess so. So here's Ramstein, book dish. We'll see you on Thursday. Mir entgegen, und ich bleib 